Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Let's give it up for King Jesus, everybody. Come on. I am super, super excited that you are here today celebrating the next steps and also just to see what the Lord has for us. I've been kind of just sitting in a lot throughout this whole series, and this series ends today, sadly, but what God has created and what He started in this series is just going to be continued by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we say amen to that? That God is not through. He's not through with you. I'm so excited to hear stories about what God has done in this series, people taking spiritual steps, people engaging with the Bible more intentionally than what they were before, people stepping up to serve. Now we have two baptisms that have just happened today. God's doing some things at Calvary. Amen? And you guys are excited about that. And uh, I don't know about this side here. We just can't get it right. Either got one side excited, the other side not. I don't know. I'll just... I'll just keep going. It, it just, it's easier than therapy. So here we go. Hey, here's, here is also something that, that kind of is happening right now. Any basketball fans? March Madness? Anyone? Got a few. All right. Uh, March Madness is almost over. It'll be over tomorrow. I don't know if you saw the games. Yeah, there, so, we, we got some people excited that it's almost over tomorrow. Um, has it really been a bother for your schedule? Probably not. I mean, come on. But anyway, so here's the thing. When it comes to March Madness or baseball, I'm a Cardinals fan. Albert Pujols, uh, got a few more. Albert Pujols is back for his final year. He's going to end where he should have stayed, <clears throat> I think, the whole time. But the reason why I point all this out is when it comes to sports, sometimes for us, we can just so easy, it's so easy to see what a win is, right? At the end of the game, if you have more points than the other team, you what? Win. Sometimes when it comes to spiritual things, we're not really sure what a win is. And we can attend church for a long time, and we think, well, we're winning because we're attending. Life's not changed, so we have to ask ourselves the question, are we really winning? Are we on the winning team if we're not doing the thing that God wants us to do? One of the ways that we, as a church, want to help you is we want to celebrate your next steps. We celebrate your next steps, and not only you. We are, we are about making disciples who make disciples. Not only is it about you taking next steps and celebrating next steps, because anytime someone takes a spiritual step, that is a win for us and a win for King Jesus. So that's, that's really the, the most simplistic way that I can put it. But I, here's the thing. It's also a win when you help somebody else win. So you have an opportunity to grab one of these cards that is in your seat back if you're in the front row I don't know what you're going to do. We'll help you out. I guess Josh maybe has some. We'll get you some. Anyway, you have these in your seat back all around the room. These are invite cards. This is an opportunity for you to help celebrate a win of somebody coming to church, and somebody particularly who's not going to church. We're not trying to take somebody from another church. We're talking about somebody who does not go to church. This is an opportunity for you to use this as a tool to invite them into church. It gives our service times. It says what to expect. And it's Easter Sunday. We know that people statistically come to church on Easter Sunday. People, even people who are far from God tend to do that. Why can't they come here? 
right? Why can't they come here? Why can't they hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why can't we celebrate their coming and also hopefully giving their life to Jesus and them taking spiritual steps? So you have an opportunity now to use this card, not just as a placeholder in your Bible, which I know tends to happen. It's like, okay, it's there. Oh, good. Now I know where I'm supposed to be. It's not a bookmark, right? This is for you to invite someone, uh, just a friend, a family member who does not go to church to our service times, um, and you'll see that at 8.45 and 10.30 on Easter Sunday. All the information's there. Please use this. We're about celebrating steps, and inviting lost people into church is a significant step. So we all can win. Amen? All right. So let's get down to business. So we are in this series called Catalyst, and what I started with at the very beginning of this series is this phrase, the only thing that's impossible to change is what? The thing that you never start. So the way that you're going to be stuck spiritually is if you don't start doing the thing that God is, is whispering, maybe shouting for you to do. And again, I, I don't want to belabor the point. I know people are taking spiritual steps, and I just say amen, and I cheer you on, and I know that God is not done yet. Last week, uh, the last week's message and this week's message are really tied together into one. So what I ended with last week was this phrase, victory in Jesus is found when we continually confront our sins. That victory in Jesus is found when we continually confront our sins. We know just a little bit of Ezra's response once he found out that there was sin in the camp, so to speak. That the exiles, the second exile group of which Ezra led, this moment of excitement and everybody's going back to the homeland, thousands of people, and they go there. And yet, once Ezra really surveyed the land, he started to realize that there was sin in the land. And they were doing the thing that God said specifically not to do. So what was Ezra to do? We see in chapter 9, Ezra's response. It was a, a, a literal, like, visible response to his body. He literally is pulling out his hair, pulling out his beard hair. Oh, I can't even imagine. He's doing this publicly. He's letting people know how he feels internally. That's what all that was about, of them watching him. And just kind of like, just he's in anguish and deep sorrow is what it said because of the sin that is there. And what we're going to see today as we finish up the series is how the other people respond. So not only do we see how Ezra responds, we see how he takes some significant steps of leadership in that moment, but also how people follow his leadership, which to me is incredible when you actually see people follow good spiritual leadership. Another thing we talked about last week was a passage of Scripture in 1 John 2, verse 16, and it says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And we said this word, world, is the word cosmos. And you could think of anything that is hostile to God. So if there's this way of the world that is in opposition to God's way of what He wants for us and He wants through us in our day. And I made a mention last week to, to the movie Castaway. Anybody catch that? I, I just made a mention, kind of a flyby of this. And I have a picture for you. Hopefully it shows up on the screen. And this is a picture of Wilson from, there you go. Anybody remember that part of, of Castaway? 
Anybody cry at that part? Let's be honest. I cried at that part. That was horrible. So just so you know, Tom Hanks is the actor. He's the main actor. He's literally the only actor in about three quarters of that movie. I hope he got paid a lot for it because he was like, he did all the work. So he gets stranded on an island because of a plane crash. He works for FedEx and in the plane crashes. He's the only survivor, sadly. But yet he, you know, he basically goes upon this island and he lives upon this island and he creates this this character named Wilson that you see drifting away from Tom Hanks. And this is just a gut-wrenching part of the movie because Wilson is his only friend. So why do I tell you that? Well, I tell you that because I think this creates a really good way for, maybe to, for, a way for us to understand and really deeply feel maybe how God feels when we drift away from him. Because if you saw the movie, just you're feeling it maybe right now. And to think that, that maybe for us, we're the ones who's drifting away and that God is reaching in his hands out to, to his, his kids and saying, why are you not doing the thing that I wanted you to do? Why are you not obeying in the way that I asked you to obey? You see, all of us drift away. All of us drift away from God's desire and God's design. There's no one exempt from that rule. We all do. How do I know that to be true? Because Ecclesiastes 7.20 says that that's true. And that scripture says this. There's no, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Meaning we're all in the same boat. There's not one person that's better off than the other. There's not one person who has it all together and the other one doesn't. There's not one person. There's not like some sort of spiritual hierarchy. We are all level and we're all needing Jesus because we're all sinners. And just like what was portrayed in that image... We all are prone to drift away from God. This message today is is for you. If you've drifted away from God, there's going to be something here for you. If you've drifted away from God, maybe you don't even know God. I want you to know there's going to be something here for you. If you're the person who, who God has been whispering to you, maybe shouting to you, that thing that you're supposed to start and you haven't, there's something here for you. And I, I want you to know if, you're, if you are doing well spiritually and you would say, that, you know what, I'm... I'm like, I'm not perfect, but man, I'm I'm good with my walk with God. There's also something that's here for you. Let's get into Ezra 10. And let's let's unpack this passage. I have to do a lot of reading here, verses 1 through 17. I'm not going to finish out everything that happens, verse 18, throughout the rest of the chapter, because that names all the people who were doing the wrong thing. And to spare you hearing all those names and me attempting to say all those names, uh, we're not going to cover those. You can do all that at home if you'd like to. But that's literally how the chapter finishes out, of just spelling out exactly who it was who was responsible for disobeying God. Verse 1, chapter 10 says this. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd, or excuse, yeah, a large crowd, of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. Shechaniah, son of Jehael, one of the descendants of Eliam, said to Ezra, We've been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us, but in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send, all, uh, send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my God and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Verse 4. Rise up, this matter is in your hands. We will support you, 
So take courage and do it. So Ezra rose up and he put the leading priests and Levites and all Israel under oath to do what was suggested. And they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the room of Jehoiam, son of Eliashib. While he was there, he ate no food and drank no water because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. A proclamation was then issued throughout Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles to assemble in Jerusalem. Anyone who failed to appear within three days would forfeit all his property in accordance with the decision of the officials and elders and would himself be expelled from the assembly of the exiles. Within the three days, all the men of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. And on the 20th day of the ninth month, all the people were sitting in the square before the house of God, greatly distressed by the occasion and because of the rain. I love the detail in the word of God. You can see what the weather was like on this day. Verse 10, Then Ezra the priest stood up and he said to them, You've been unfaithful. You've married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now make confession to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples around you and from your foreign wives. The whole assembly responded with a loud voice. You're right. We must do as you say, but there are many people here, and it is the rainy season. So we cannot stand outside. Besides, this matter cannot be taken It cannot be taken care of in a day or two because we have sinned greatly in this thing. Let our officials act for the assembly. Then let everyone in the towns who who has married a foreign woman come at a set time, along with the elders and judges of each town, until the fierce anger of our God in this matter has turned away from us. Then Jonathan, son of Jehael, and Jehaziah, son of Tikvah, excuse me, supported by... Meshalem and Shabaham, the Levite, opposed this. So the exiles did as was proposed. Ezra the priest selected men who were family heads, one from each family division, and all of them designated by name. And on the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to investigate the cases. And by the first day of the first month, they finished dealing with all the men who had married foreign women. A lot of reading there. What we're going to see this morning is five different things birthed out of this reading. Now, here is the, the, just a word of caution for you. A word of caution would be these, these points that we're going to draw out, there are going to be five of them in total. They're very simple. When you look at them, they seem very simple. But here's what I want you to know. That although it may be simple, they're simple to understand, but all of these need to be committed to God. Many good-meaning Christians have taken points like this and just taken them, and because they're so simple, they've, they've gone to try and seek to do them under their own power instead of God's power. You and I would be foolish to do this. Although they're simple, you need God's help to fulfill what it is that God is wanting to do in and through you. I love this quote by a theologian by the name of A.T. Pearson. He said this, there's never been a spiritual waking in any country or locality that not, did not begin in united prayer. You and I would do well to begin in united prayer before we embark into this passage any further. So let's pray together. 
Father, we come to you today, and I just pray by the name of Jesus, and I pray in accordance with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me today, that you would speak to all of us today. And the things that, that I'm going to talk about today, God, I want there to just, just to be done in the, the clarity of the Spirit and with the power of the Spirit. Lord, I pray, not selfishly, that my will would be done, but I pray unselfishly that your will would be done. And I pray, God, that you would overwhelm us with your grace today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Point number one this morning is this. We need to own up to it. If we were to go into verse one and two, we're going to find our first two takeaways. It says, while Ezra was praying and confessing, Weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a loud crowd, or excuse me, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him, and they too wept bitterly. They're owning up to it. They're owning up to this moment in time of what has happened, and they're realizing the weight of their sin because they had disobeyed God. May it be said of us when we are disobeying God that we feel the weight of our sin because it is only then, after we feel the weight of our sin, can we then understand the value and the kindness of repentance. But they're owning up to it. They're owning up to it. Notice how Ezra, last week, we read this, and you can go back one chapter into Ezra 9, 6, and 7, and you see how, how Ezra, in, in the moment, last week we talked about this, he's owning up to it in a personal way. He says, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our forefathers until now, our guilt has been great because of our sins. We and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign gods as it is today. So he's, he's owning up to the situation, although he was not participating. He simply walked into this issue that was already in the land. But we also see Shekinah, he says this in chapter 10, verse 2. Then Shekinah says this, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is hope for us in Israel. I want you to know and I want you to be encouraged with this truth. In spite of what you've done and in spite of what you're doing, there's hope for you if you're hearing this message. If you are taking air, God wants to speak to you this morning. God has a message for you. And it is, it is for you in a personal way, not just a way to make you feel good, but God has a way and a message for you. He has a way for you to go, and he has a message for you to hear, and he has indeed something for you to do. You need to own up to where you are right now in this moment. You need not look around and see about how somebody else is doing it or how somebody else should have done it or think in your mind how somebody else has done you wrong. Instead, you in this moment, the way that you can be free and the way Christ wants you to be free is own up to the place that you're in right now and the situation you're in. He wants you to own up to it. But sometimes it's hard to own up to things, isn't it? Isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to own up to things. So years ago, we... On Thursday nights, we used to play basketball in the gym. Anybody remember those days? I do. We used to play basketball, and it was kind of fierce. Um, 
you know, it was kind of really fierce. And sometimes, sometimes people would end up with black eyes and bloody noses and stuff. And, you know, all done in the name of Jesus, I'm sure. But uh, just good competitive basketball. So one person who used to play basketball with me, who happens to be in the room right now, I'm not going to say his name, he guarded me all the time. He had a very unique way. He was, he was very tenacious, just like me. What, what I don't have in skill, I make up in just effort, I think. And uh, so he's kind of in the same way, and he's about the same height as me. We always seem to guard each other. But, but if I'm honest, he fouled people a lot, namely me, a lot. He did. But here's the thing. Here's, here's what he would do when we play basketball. He would foul me, but he would only claim that he fouled me if it was a good one. Like, it had to be a really good one. And so if it was a good one, he'd like, I did that. It was me. It's like he was proud of it or something, you know. But if it wasn't a good one, then it was like, no, that wasn't a foul. It's like, no blood, no foul. Hey, we're not in prison here, okay? Like, we, we play by different rules. We're like, we're godly people. You know, I say all that to say, you know, in just kind of a funny way, of course, is sometimes we're challenged to be honest about the condition we're in. Sometimes we are. And sometimes we think, ah, it's no big deal. I mean, after all, it didn't hurt anyone. Nobody even knew, just me and God, and I'm sure God forgives me. But I want to caution you to think that way, and I want to caution you with this quote, you will only grow to the level of your honesty. You will only grow to the level of your honesty. If, if we're honest with one another, maybe some of us in the room would say, hmm, I've been challenged to be honest with my, my current situation, with where I am and what I've done. And if we're really honest and and if, if we had God's view, I bet what would be also true of you is to say, maybe you stop growing because you're not as honest as what you need to be. You will only grow to the level of your honesty. Your honesty in offending other people and certainly your honesty in offending God. Things get in the way, though, of us being honest with our current situation. What gets in the way sometimes is just the way we feel. We feel validated by, by may, maybe harming someone else or validated by doing something to, to maybe that we know is not the best for us, but we feel, we feel good about it in the moment. So we do it. We just jump out and do it without thinking of consequences. And, and sometimes it's the other side of the spectrum. We do things just because we want other people to feel a certain way. We do things in spite of what God wants us to do, but yet we want people to feel a certain way. So if, we, if they feel a certain way, then they'll feel that sting that we want them to feel. You'll only grow to the level of your honesty. And sometimes we're just so crippled with the things that we know that we've done. And we can think that there's no forgiveness to be had for us because of the things that we've done. And that's just not simply the truth. Look at the end of verse 2. What did it say? But in spite of this, there is hope for Israel. In spite of the situation they're in, in spite of disobeying God, in spite of of all of the, now the cultural issues and how the families are going to be ripped apart and trying to figure all that out. And there's going to be a a lot of grieving and a lot of sorrow. But in spite of all that, there was still hope for Israel and there's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. There's somebody in the scriptures who was kind of an epic center. His name was David. He was also known as God's man. 
And this is what David says in one of his, in his confession psalms, Psalm 32. This is after his moral failure with Bathsheba and also the murder of Bathsheba's husband. And this is what he says. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out, out of sight. Yet, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me, is what David says. He says, and all my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time, that they, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place, David says. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy all you whose hearts are pure. If David can feel the lifting and the burden of regret, the taking away and the wiping away of shame after what he's done, after the people of God, the Israelites, had, had done such a heinous thing and just completely disregarded what God had told them to do, in Exodus and in Levitic or and in Deuteronomy, then God can forgive you. There's a pathway forward for you. Your pathway forward is the same as their pathway forward. And it's simply this cling to God. Cling to God. Ezra, he confirms God's grace and God, God's goodness in chapter 2, or excuse me, in, in chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. And Shekinah, he affirms God's goodness, grace, and hope in Ezra 10, 2. So how, how can we do this? Humbly request more of God's grace to, to confront and confess your sins. Humbly request for the flourishing of the church and deeper conviction to reach the lost. Humbly request to know God more deeply and to see His face and to catch a glimpse of His glory. I don't know about you, but I, I tend to look for an easy fix when it comes to things. Do you look for an easy fix? Anybody else look for an easy fix? Anybody else under the belief that the duct tape will fix just about anything in the world? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, am I the only one here? I mean, there is that Flex Seal stuff, but I just like good old-fashioned duct tape. I, I just think duct tape, I mean, you give me that, some bubble gum, and maybe an episode of MacGyver, and I can fix it all. I just can. Um, at least I think I can. And, and duct tape is, is amazing because if you need somebody to be quiet, you can, oh, wait a minute, wait, that's a, you can do that, right? And you can fix any sort of issues, it seems like, in the world. Of course, it's not true, but 
but I love duct tape and have used it for, a multiple, for multiple different things, including one of which I'm not proud of. Um, I, I got into a, or I didn't get to an accident. My son got into an accident with, uh, with a vehicle we used to have, and it was a black SUV, and it was a little bit older. And so, so not to report it to the insurance, I looked for a, an easy way out of fixing the issue because I thought that if I were to claim it on my insurance, then they were going to basically you know, make me give the vehicle up. And in that state, you couldn't buy it back. So I found that out, a little loophole in Illinois. So, you know, uh, if it's a total loss, it's a total loss. Goodbye. There's no way of getting it back. So I look for the easy way out. And what's the easy way out? Good old-fashioned duct tape. I am not lying. I bought some black duct tape. It was a black SUV. From a distance, it looked fine. Up close, though, you could actually see that the front clip was being held on by gobs and gobs of duct tape. One of the things I found is duct tape sticks to itself really well, especially when you don't want it to stick to itself. And, and, and it sticks to itself. But one thing that I am absolutely sure of is this. Duct tape sticks to itself. But I wish my heart would stick to God's heart like duct tape sticks to itself. Man, I wish it did. I wish I could cling to God and I wish it was always easy. I wish, it was, I, wish I would just wake up in the morning and just be, you know, floating like an angel, singing like praise and worship songs. I wish it was just easy. I wish it was always easy to love people. I wish it was always easy to be a parent. I wish it was always easy to be a grandparent. I wish it was always easy to be a friend. I wish that, that my heart would just be naturally inclined to doing the thing that God wants me to do. But it's not. And I struggle. But I find comfort and hope in passages like this from Psalm 145, 18 through 20. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. Ah, oh, isn't that reassuring? If you're taking notes, so far we filled in two of the blanks, and we're going to fill in another one right now. You need to get to the place where you admit it, where you admit it. Ezra narrows in on the specific commandments that they had violated in Chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. And Shekinah, he admits the violations against God also in verse 3 and in verse 10 of chapter 10. They admit it. They, they come to terms with once Ezra brings it to their attention and he is God's man at the time and he goes forward with it. He has the visible expression of how he feels about the sin that has been committed and that is being committed. And they respond like he responded, with deep sorrow. And they, in this passage that we read, and I'm not going to read all of it again. You could go back through it and read it if you'd like to. In verses 3 through 10 is where I got this point from. That they admit it. They say, yes, we've done it. We've disobeyed God. They were honest with where they were. Knowing that they were clinging to God and God's grace in that moment. But they felt the comfort to go to God and just to admit what they had done wrong. And also to be a part of the solution. God doesn't expect you to be completely perfect but He expects you to be increasingly honest. God doesn't expect you to be completely perfect. 
You and I will not be perfect until one day us brothers and sisters in Christ step into eternity in heaven with God. Then and only then will we be perfect. But what God would like for us and what he, he calls us to do is to be increasingly honest about our lives, about what we've done and who we've done it with. We have to kind of meander through this very gently and ask this question, where are you with Jesus right now? We're talking about admitting it, and there's specific sins that were mentioned in this passage, and that, that Ezra basically stops everything, and now they're, on the, they're on, on the cusp of revival, but the way that revival is going to break out in that land is if they confess their sin and repent of their sin, acknowledging what they've done, admitting what they've done. But it begs the question, where do you stand with God right now? past the facade, past the church attendance, past the looking good, past the Christian cliches, where do you stand with Jesus today? We can blow all this off and we can think, well, it's no big deal. Well, I've got plenty of time. I'm going to live life on my terms. There's going to be a day, men and women, boys and girls, there's going to be a day where we stand before Almighty God and have to give account for what we've done and what we haven't done. And we either stand in the place of grace or we stand in the place of condemnation. There's no other options. There's no bickering back and forth. There's no, did I I do enough? Did I give enough? Did I serve enough? There's not enough that you and I can possibly do because in our hearts, our hearts are desperately wicked without God. That, That is the sad truth. And I say this not from a a sense of condemning you. This is a place I want you to know there's hope for you. But you can't keep doing the things that you're doing and expect a different result. You can't keep doing the things you're doing if you're walking away from God and expect God to bless you. That's not how it works. It's just not how it works. I, I love in this passage that that Ezra brings it to their attention. The people respond like he responds. There's deep sorrow. He's weeping. They're weeping. He's praying. They're praying. Not only did they admit it, they also decided that they were going to work at it. They were going to work at it. It wasn't just this, this mental pursuit of something. that was like, oh, well, we've done it wrong again. And it wasn't like, well, I just don't know what to do. They didn't give a, a justification, but like, you know how hard this is going to be on the families? Like, do you know how big those people are? There's still more of them than there's more of us. They didn't give any excuses. Instead, they admitted there was a problem, and they stepped toward a solution. Verse 10, Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You've been unfaithful. You've been, you have married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now make confession to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and do His will. This wasn't, this wasn't lip service. This wasn't, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do what you want me to do, and then continue to do the thing that violates God's law. Instead, what, what, was, the, what was the message here? This message was, make confession 
and do His will. Notice what it says at the end of verse 11. Separate yourselves from the peoples around you and from the foreign wives. There's one thing to know what it is you're supposed to do, and there's the other thing you need to add to it, and that's doing the things you know you're supposed to do. It's easy to know what it is that we're supposed to do, and yet it is much harder at times to do the things that God is wanting us to do. But yet, this is, the, this is the pathway, if you will, of repentance. Repentance is, is this. Repent, repenting of our sin. Think about this, this cross here. With repentance, there's a vertical aspect of this. The vertical aspect of the cross is, is reckon, being reconciled to God through the confession and repentance of sins, turning away from your sin and your sinful state, going to God, confessing that you're a sinner, admitting to Him that you need Him to be a Savior, also acknowledging that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away your sins. That's the way to be reconciled with the Father, to know that you're going to be spending eternity in heaven with God. That's the vertical aspect of repentance. But did you know there's also a horizontal aspect of repentance? There's what God wants you to do next. It's one to be, to be right with God. And that's, that's important. That's key. But when you're right with God, He will automatically want you to be making things right with people. This is how God works. This is how He forms us all into family. This is how he takes the lonely and he puts them into family and how we can participate as the family of God so we keep short of counts of our wrongs. So when, when I offend you or you offend me, that we keep short accounts and we go to one another and said, I don't know, I just, I don't know exactly what I've done at times, but, but here's the thing, I believe that I've offended you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, and I, need to, I just need to confess that I know that I've done something wrong right now. I, need, I just need to make it right. And do you know what happens most of the time when we've offended someone and we go to them and we ask for their forgiveness? They shrug it off. They're like, you know what? I didn't, even really, I, didn't, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but thank you so much. And then your relationship gets stronger. Make no mistake, when we repent, there's, there's a way that, that is a vertical thing that happens when we are reconciled with God. And there's always a horizontal aspect where we reconcile relationships with people. We reconcile the rights, the, the wrongs that we've done to make them right. There's always this aspect of it. This always requires us to be one with God and to work at it. To work at it. This is, this is repentance that is a deep repentance, not a shallow repentance. This is a, a repentance that shows up in every aspect of your life, namely your relationships, keeping short accounts, not writing people off. It makes our hearts more joyful. It makes us more patient. It makes us more faithful. It makes us more kind. It makes us have better self-control. When we walk in repentance with God and we have that vertical relationship restored and then we seek to make restoration with relationships horizontally with those around us. There's always a vertical response to repentance and there's always a horizontal response. 
in the world. Repentance is not regret. Repentance is not simply feeling bad for sinning. You see, feeling bad alone won't change your behavior. What God wants to do is change your heart. Because when God changes your heart, He changes every aspect of your life because everything you do is based out of your heart and not your mind. So if He changes your heart, it's easier to love other people. It's easier for you to say yes to the thing that He wants you to do because God is in the heart-changing business. This is what God wants for you. But he wants to partner with you. He's not going to do everything. He's given you a will. He's given you agency to act and to do and to submit, to work with him to make all things new. You see, if you just feel bad, that's going to put you in a a type of a, a shame spiral. And that's not the heart of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 says this, You were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. Wow. You see, repentance puts faith into action. Repentance puts faith into action. This is what James was talking about in James 2, 17, when he said, In the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied, accompanied excuse me, by action, is dead. There's always a, a connection with repentance and faith and action. And the last thing we see in this passage, this based off of verse 16 and 17, is follow up on it. Follow up on it. On, on what God is speaking to you about right now. Follow up on it. Follow up on it. Verse 16 says this, So the exiles did as was proposed. Ezra the priest selected men who were, who were family heads, one from each family division, and all of them designated by name. So he, being a great spiritual leader, an organizational leader, then he organizes how the whole thing is going to work. So it wasn't just some shallow bit of repentance. Instead, it would be a deep repentance that leads to deep revival. And revival takes part in the land. And he created structure around seeing that that the people would follow through. Church, you and I have to follow up on it. What is it for you, by the way? What is, what is it? See, your it may be different than my it. What's your it? What is it right now that God's saying, hey, remember that thing you gave up on a long time ago? That's your it. Do it. Maybe your it is, is that, that financial issue that you have unresolved and, 
And God has been speaking to you over and over and over. And God wants you to follow up on it. Not to just think about it, not just to feel about it, but do something about it. Follow up on it. Maybe it's a relational struggle. Maybe it's a relational struggle. Maybe it's a marital struggle. And you're like, and you really feel found out right now. And my heart breaks for you. But my heart breaks for you also because you've probably let it go on too long. You need to go out and get the counseling that you need. You need to get the help that you need. You need to, you need to get that, that marriage mentor that, that you need to help you through this season. I don't know what that it is for you. But by faith, I believe that God has something for every single one of us. I want to end with this story. When I was in the Navy, I don't know which deployment it was, but I was on a deployment to the Mediterranean Sea. And I used to work on F-18s. I worked on the, the flight deck. And so they said it was one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. I was like, sounds like fun. I'll do it. And so I worked on the flight deck and all of this. And there was one particular day we're out in the Mediterranean Sea, and we it was kind of a surreal day because it was kind of a slow day and we had over 100 aircraft on the on the carrier at the time over 5000 sailors and marines on the boat at the time and there was one particular instance where i heard this this call over the intercom and it said battle stations battle stations battle stations man your battle stations this is not a drill and I'm thinking, what in the world? Like, what, what's going on? Well, come to find out, although the, we're the most, one of the most dangerous fighting forces in the world, there was a Turkish plane that had flown into our airspace. And it flew into our airspace, and then it flew out of our airspace before we were able to do anything. We were very prepared. We could have handled any situation. Not a single plane got scrambled to go take care of, of that or to scare them off. Instead, we did nothing. You know, even the most prepared of us can be complacent. Even the most prepared, even those who know the most things about the Bible, even those who, who have warmed a seat or a pew the longest can still be complacent. I don't know where you are this morning, but I want you to know that God is speaking to you. I want to end with this verse. Psalm 143.11 says this, For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Can we pray that this morning? I invite you to stand with me and let's pray this together. If you'd bow your heads, close your eyes, just center yourself. God is speaking. What's He saying to you? God, this is our prayer. For the sake of your name, O oh Lord, revive us. In your righteousness, 
bring our souls out of trouble. For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive us. In your righteousness, bring our souls out of trouble. For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive us. In your righteousness, bring our souls out of trouble. Lord, we say again, for the sake of your name, O Lord, revive us. In your righteousness, bring our souls out of trouble.